What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Hi, this is Dana Perkins, and you're listening to Switched On, the BNEF podcast. Today, we're talking about carbon trading. The European Union Emissions Trading System, or EUETS for short, and many would say that it has been an effective tool in bringing European carbon emissions down. Now, recently, there were changes to the system in response to Fit for 55, which is the EU climate and energy legislation designed to support the bloc's pledge to cut greenhouse gas emissions by at least 55% by 2030 when compared with 1990 levels. So if you're looking to get up to speed on how compliance markets like the EU ETS work and what Fit for 55 is, well, today is for you. We speak with Bo Chin and Emma Coker, who both focus on carbon markets at BNEF. Compliance carbon markets have come in and out of vogue, if you will, and there have been years where the carbon price fluctuated very little. As a result, many people thought of it as more of a carbon tax. But today, not only does it really impact the companies that are paying for the credits, but there is a growing trader community which is closely watching and trading against these fluctuations. So while Article 6 and COP26 last year brought carbon markets back into focus for some of the world, those of us in Europe, well, we're just continuing with something that was started way back in 2005. So I guess that asks the question, are you a carbon newbie or veteran? BNF's carbon research can be found for subscribers at BNF on the Bloomberg Terminal, on BNF.com, or on our mobile app. Speaking of subscribers, if you'd like to be aware of when we release new podcasts on Switched On focused on energy transport and sustainability, just make sure to subscribe on whatever podcast player you're listening to us on now. And as a reminder, BNEF does not provide investment or strategy advice, and we have a complete disclaimer at the end of the show. But now, let's speak with Bo and Emma about carbon markets and Fit for 55. Thank you both for coming on the show today. Bo, welcome. Thank you, Dana. Great to be here. And Emma. Thank you, Dana. Great to be here also. So we are here to talk about, well, probably the thing that you guys spend most of your time talking about, which is the EU emissions trading system. And we're going to talk today about some important reforms that are being discussed and potentially progressed in the very near term. But before we go into what's changing, let's go back. How long has this been around for? And when was the last time since its origination there was a sizable change to the EU ETS? EUETS is a scheme that has been around since 2005. So it's a market-based carbon market, and it's a kind of that cap-and-trade system. So it basically has the absolute cap that all installations in the EU market, there are around 11,000. They have to keep their emissions under that cap. So basically, installation or a company in EUETS, they can either reduce their emissions themselves or pay for the emissions that they produce. And altogether, they need to keep under the cap that is regulated by the policymakers. So basically, the target right now is to achieve 43% emission reduction by 2030. And this is now to be changed or to be reformed. 
And the goal right now is to align the emission scheme to the larger European Green Deal and the Fit for 55 target, which means 55% emission reduction by 2030 compared to 1990 levels. And on largest change for the market before this new reform has been the MSR, Introduction of Market Stability Reserve which basically gave the extra boost to the European carbon price from 2018. I think we'd say this is arguably one of the widest reforms the EU ETS has seen and actually globally in ETS schemes. If they can pass these reforms, this will be a pretty significant change across a number of the elements of the overall European Union emissions trading scheme. And this will apply to every country that is in the EU and has companies operating physically on their soil or on their soil and overseas. It will be those that are physically on this soil. So there's also the scope for currently intra-EU airlines as well, but that's also up to reforms whether this scope will be changed. So you referenced the Fit for 55 reforms, which is what we really want to delve into today. They're looking to bring down emissions by 2030, which industries is this going to impact? Because it appears that there are actually some new industries that will be impacted by these reforms. Indeed, that's right, Dana. EU ETS, the carbon market in Europe, has always borne bigger emission reduction burden than the rest of the sectors. So how 55% will translate into UETS, it's going to be higher. So the proposed figures have been, for commission, it's been 61% emission reduction for those UETS sectors. And now what we have seen from Parliament, the suggested number is 63% emission reduction. What does this basically mean to the uh, sectors uh, under the uh, UETS scheme? is that they need to crank up their emission reduction and also investment into those low carbon technologies. For power sector, we'll expect more fuel switching from coal to gas, as well as uptake of renewables, more wind, more solar and batteries. And then what this means for industries is that they need to look into the technologies that they can use to reduce their emissions. So whether that is hydrogen, CCS or biofuels or electrification. What do the changes in Fit for 55 mean for some new entrants to this space? So specifically, maritime and shipping. I think the shipping space in particular has been something that people have really been focused on as a just a critical part of the economy as we are looking at supply chains and how completely international and global a lot of those are as we're dealing with you know, inflation. As EU targets deep decarbonization and net zero, they have to include shipping emissions into the scope as well. That's one reason. Another reason has been why we need to include shipping is that aviation, especially intra-EU aviation, has already been susceptible or they have been already been included to EU ETS and they have been mandated to pay for their emissions. So it would be fair to have both shipping and aviation in the same scheme as well. As for buildings and transport, there is a separate market now proposed for them. 
The reason to have them separate is mainly that one, they're more consumer facing. So separating them would allow setting up mechanisms to protect those more vulnerable groups, especially those who are more vulnerable in terms of higher energy costs, like consumers and small and medium sized companies. Another reason is that the costs for decarbonizing buildings and transport are very high. By including them into the in a carbon market, we may not see significant emission reductions in these sectors immediately. So the incentive to reduce emissions in these sectors wouldn't be instant. By having a separate market, we could also introduce other supporting mechanisms to make this happen. For example, what has been in suggested a format to kind of accelerate decarbonization is a contract for difference, carbon contract for difference, to be exact. And what this means is basically to use the carbon market and the carbon price as much as we can, but then top up with additional amount of kind of subsidy so that we can reach the price needed to drive this emission reduction. I think just on the fairness point, so Bo just raised that it's fair to include shipping alongside aviation, which is already included. With buildings, if your building is current electrified, so you're using a heat pump in your home, that actually has a carbon price associated with it. Whereas if your home is currently using gas, there is no carbon price associated with it. So this is in order to level the playing field for buildings alongside sectors such as the power sector, which is already included in the EU ETS. So let's go to another part of this, which is meant to level the playing field and also quite contentious within the proposed changes, which is the carbon border adjustment mechanism. What is this and why is it so contentious? So the carbon border adjustment mechanism, as we've just been discussing, the majority of industrials in the EU are within the EU emissions trading scheme. So this means any ton of emissions produced, they must pay then the respective carbon price. If goods are imported from an outside country, that country may not have an equivalent scheme to the EU emissions trading scheme, which means that those goods are produced without having to pay a carbon price. So what the carbon border adjustment mechanism tries to do is effectively equate those two products. So a ton of steel produced in the EU paying an X amount of carbon price is going to be the same as a ton of steel produced outside of the EU, where they will pay effectively an import tax that will be equal to the carbon price the ton of steel in the EU has had to pay. Now, it's controversial, of course, because this would require the EU effectively regulating production from outside of the European Union. Also, there's the second part of it, which is we haven't seen significant industrial decarbonisation in the EU emissions trading scheme because industrials have received free allocation. And so what that was is effectively free permits in order for them to produce that ton of steel but not pay the effective carbon price. And so in order for it to be fair if outside the EU is paying a carbon price, those free allowances have to be removed, which means current production within the EU will then have to pay the full carbon price. So what about the countries that do have their own trading mechanism and how will this impact and interact with them? So I'm thinking actually specifically the country that we're sitting in, Emma, you and I, Bo is is in the States, but the United Kingdom, since Brexit took place, they've set up their own ETS. How does that interact with 
these new potential rules? Will there be a a bit of a change you expect on this side? How long will that take? And how does it interact with the carbon border adjustment mechanism? So actually, the UK ETS has or emissions trading scheme has traded actually at a bit of a premium compared to the EU emissions trading scheme. So actually, permits are slightly higher in cost than we're seeing in the EU. That means is effectively if you are paying more under your local scheme than the EU emissions trading scheme, you wouldn't have to pay that carbon border adjustment mechanism. So this is going to hit countries who either don't have a carbon price at all or have a much lower carbon price than the current price of European Union allowances. It also depends on your import's emission intensity. So if your import's emission intensity is lower than the existing benchmark in Europe, you can also avoid paying that carbon levy at the border. Basically, if we kind of summarize the main points for this carbon border adjustment mechanism is really three. One is to ensure the fairness of competition for different industries, especially those under the EU ETS scope. Then second is to reduce emissions, ensure that EU can achieve that the net zero goals and the set midterm emission goals as well. And then the third is to encourage also other countries to take up emission reduction policies. So what will take the Fit for 55 proposals from more than a proposal and something that is actually going to come to pass and actually impact the way that the EU ETS functions? So how this works in the European Union is effectively European lawmakers have to agree amongst themselves. So there's three key parties that need to agree. So the European Commission is the body who proposed Fit for 55. The next stage is it goes to the European Parliament to either agree or disagree on all of the elements that have been proposed by the Commission. So the parliament must agree amongst themselves whether they're happy on each of the proposals or they propose amendments. Once parliament has agreed, this then goes to the European Council and the European Council does the same. Are they happy with the proposal? Would they prefer to amend? As Bo said, the European Parliament has suggested a higher emissions reduction, so 63% decline in emissions compared to 61 from the European Commission. And so the European Council either agrees with the Commission or agrees with the Parliament. Uh, it's all of it circular. And then once all three have agreed their position, it goes into trialogue negotiations. They agree amongst themselves. And once that's occurred, which we were hoping to see at the end of this year or early next, it will be introduced into the legislative process. How long is that going to take? That's the question everyone's asking. Because of the significance of these reforms, these negotiations are set to take a bit of time. Just recently, the European Parliament plenary actually voted down the proposed amendments for a significant part of the EU ETS or emissions trading scheme reforms. And so what that does is it sends it back to the subcommittees of parliament to renegotiate and then it will come back up to parliament plenary to vote. So any setbacks like this adds at least a few weeks. This entire process usually takes around one to two years. Okay, so one to two years. We're sitting here at 2022. These are supposed to impact the market for, well, for goals that are actually focused on 2030. Is there any concern that it will take too long to actually come to pass in order for these rules to have a meaningful impact on emissions reduction? The longer we wait, the shorter time frame in which participants within the market will have to reduce their emissions. And so we're expecting 
in terms of those emissions reductions that there'll be a one-off rebase, effectively a one-off adjustment where we reduce the number of allowances in the market and then it continues to decrease per year as it does currently. What that means is you squeeze that into a few years and it's likely that scarcity will drive the price of the allowances even higher. Actually, the risk of postponing is increasing. Maybe we will still be able to reach the timeline targets that we have in mind or at least what the consensus of the market have in mind. The consensus right now is to start the reforms or implementation of the reforms in 2024. What this risk of postponing would mean right now in short term is just more uncertainty. And this uncertainty of policy is on top of the market uncertainties that we have been experiencing as well amidst inflation risks and commodity risks and also bigger economic risks. Carbon has basically been seen as the commodity that has more stability. Having this amount of policy delays and changes are not convincing the market at the time when the market really needs quite a lot of market confidence. In the long term, though, what this means is that we could see more drastic, actually, market movement. Because we need faster emission reductions in the later years, we may see more market volatility actually than less market volatility, which is also maybe not what the policymakers in Europe would like. Now for a very short break. Stay with us. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. How are carbon traders and those who are actually looking to, I guess, profit off of the volatility within the market, how are they looking at this? And then also, how are the businesses that are going to be directly impacted looking at it? Is there a lot of resistance and are there areas of support? Carbon market has been a good place for traders in the last few years. And we have also seen an influx of financial intermediaries coming to this market. Mainly for several reasons, maybe the most obvious one is that this is a commodity where there's a declining supply and the demand is rather inelastic. As we said, to reduce those industrial emissions, it's really expensive. So in that way, the trajectory for carbon price is, well, the required carbon price to reduce emissions in line with what the policymakers are saying is upwards. There are attraction for this commodity in other ways as well. One is that it's an environmental sustainable asset. So people who want to expand their investment portfolios to more like sustainable products, greener products, carbon could be seen as a good option. It can be also used as a hedging tool for like carbon intensive investment, but also for interest risks. Because carbon in general track the technology that would be at the margin to abate the required amount of emissions. And that technology is usually aligned with increasing interest risks in the market as well. 
So not, it will be investing in carbon would naturally also hedge you from interest risks. So BNF expects the price of European Union allowances to hit 136 euros per tonne nominal by 2030. So that high price presents an opportunity for traders with increased volatility, as Bo was just mentioning. But it also presents an opportunity for companies who are producing low carbon solutions. So we're starting to see low carbon industrial solutions, for example, CCUS start to become competitive when we're seeing prices this high. So it's it's no longer where carbon is not hitting balance sheets. So emitters are just quite happy to just continue to burn fossil. Carbon is now becoming quite a big consideration in terms of the power sector in particular when they're coming to retire assets or invest in new assets. Now, as we know, everything within the energy transition is interrelated. So with high gas prices and sanctions on Russian gas and oil at the moment, and then also what was already going to be a very kind of expensive year when it came to power prices. How has this impacted how the European Commission, European Union, European Parliament are all looking at these proposed changes? In part, there's a couple of interesting dynamics that are playing out. So moving away from gas in the short term, has seen significant coal burn, but actually it has also led to European countries looking at increased renewables, for instance. And any investment in renewables that come on board will eventually decrease the carbon price because effectively they don't have to pay for as many permits if those come online. In the near term, however, the European Union is looking to fund the transition away from gas. And what they have done is proposed selling the spare allowances from the market stability reserve from the European Union emissions trading scheme to raise a figure of 20 billion out to 2026 in order to facilitate this move away from gas. This has some pretty significant risks. As Bo said, we're already seeing increased volatility in the carbon market from the reforms. And so any additional quite sporadic policy announcements like this moves the price significantly. The other part of it is that they haven't specified the number of allowances. They've only specified the monetary amount. So as you can imagine, if you start selling allowances into the market and adding additional supply, this is likely to be bearish for the price or lower lower the price. So it becomes quite circular. You then have to release more allowances in order to raise the amount of funding that you need, which again carries on the spiral downwards. Yeah, exactly. And it adds to the amount of uncertainty in the market right now, because if we look at this plan, what Emma just described is called Repower EU. So a part of this plan is to increase the supply to the market through MS Market Stability Reserve. Another is to double the innovation fund auctions this year. And also another, the third part is to also increase the contract for difference budget for the EU innovation fund. How this would impact the market is that if we, the, uh, the technologies to reduce emissions would get funding from elsewhere than the carbon market, that's also bearish for the market. But we have to also look at the market outside of this only reform, but all of the reform packages. So now we have four. Before we all, we had three packages. So Fit for 55, Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism and MSR reform. So this adds one layer of additional uncertainty. So we would have now Fit for 55, Repower EU, CBAM and MSR. So the collective impact on the market is becoming more and more unknown. Meanwhile, for like 
for carbon investors, more from the financial financial markets, they are also in a difficult situation because one is all these uncertainties and another is that part of these reforms also propose that they may be exempt from this market if reforms get moved forward. So all in all, a lot of uncertainties in the market. Well, within the uncertainties and within some of the industries that are actually going to be impacted, let's talk a little bit about the hard to abate space. So we already discussed maritime and shipping and buildings, which are new entrants to this. But how about some of the spaces that have previously had very generous allowances? So let's talk about cement, fertilizer, aluminum or aluminum, depending upon who you are. What are we seeing there? And is that where a lot of the uncertainty really lies and how they will be impacted? For hard to abate sectors, they know that EU has emission reduction requirements from them. And they can now see more or less the trajectory because the 61%, 63% is, is different, but still quite similar in terms of where we're going. But for them, the uncertainty is how much their free allowances will be actually reduced. The rate has been, suggestion rate has been quite different. There's the commission posts a 10% annual free allowance reduction from 2025 to 2035. And now uh, the parliament suggested also another figure, more easier one, so they would have more free allowances towards 2030. So for industrials in the European Union Emissions Trading Scheme, it's an interesting question. They've been included for a number of years, but the free allowances have effectively insulated these industries. That's currently proposed that these free allowances would be phased out as, you know, a carbon border adjustment mechanism is phased in. What this means is that industrials are now looking at what their decarbonisation options are. So, for instance, in aluminium or steel, they're looking for electrification, they're looking for hydrogen, they're looking for CCUS. The question is a lot harder than the power sector where wind and solar became the dominant technologies of choice. Industries have had a lot longer to consider solutions, but in fact, what that's meant is actually the price of these emissions allowances has also grown. So they're going to start feeling the or realizing the carbon price at a much higher rate than the power sector was previously. So the power sector was included and the phase out of free allocation for the power sector happened a number of years ago when the average price was sitting a lot lower. BNF predicts the average price to be 84 euros per ton this year, so already significant. So if industries are getting phased out around the mid-2020s towards 2030 and beyond, by this stage we're expecting the carbon price to be significant. So they're going to get hit with either really high carbon prices or probably still pretty high decarbonisation options. I think how the hard to abate industry could see this like either as an opportunity or as a risk. In terms of a risk, Emma already mentioned quite well that the carbon price is increasing and the free allocation is decreasing. So the effective carbon price for industries is also likely to increase and potentially quite drastically. But it could be also an opportunity in a way that by investing before the other competitors globally, they could achieve a carbon advantage. And this carbon advantage could be beneficial globally as well, outside of Europe. There are already customers who are looking for green products. Feeding into this demand could bring additional revenue streams. Now, investment into cleaner technologies in order to aid in decarbonization, therefore, you know, emissions reduction from a lot of the companies that are participating in this and located in the EU, 
that is one of the desired outcomes. That's what the European Union is trying to accomplish with these reforms and actually with the existing system. Is it really visible to them, to all of us, what technologies are really indirectly linked to the pressure being put on them by a high carbon price? Or do we really only see it when a technology makes it? Because invariably, R&D and development of technology doesn't always end up working out. Timelines can be very different than what was initially anticipated when somebody sets out on creating solutions. And as we increasingly get into this space of industries that have a limited number of options and solutions available to them today, do you think it will be clear and easy to link back a lot of the progress that we hope to see over the next few years and how that actually the EU ETS impacted that? I think it's a really interesting question and it's something that the EU ETS is, or emissions trading scheme is not new, right? It's been going since 2005 and, and what we have seen is it's been hailed as a pretty big success in terms of pushing the power sector to decarbonize. And so what we've actually seen is a pretty significant decline in power sector emissions and the uptake of low carbon solutions such as solar and wind. It's the cornerstone policy of the European Union to drive emissions reductions. It doesn't mean it's the one solution. So Bo mentioned earlier, it may well be that this is combined with upfront subsidies or carbon contracts for difference. The Innovation Fund, which is a scheme that's funded by the European Union allowances, actually then recycles that revenue and invests in early stage projects. For example, we've seen a number of hydrogen projects receive funding. So the carbon price might be the stick, but there is a carrot that is being dangled because of revenues generated. Yeah, exactly. So EOETS is not a silver bullet to solve this energy transition questions, but it brings transparency to the narrative. It gives the industries an actual number, a price signal that shows that the cost for emitting is going up. So there is a crisis and there is a driver for them to do something about it. So if you had to summarize, what are the main stumbling blocks that you think stand between it being approved tomorrow and going into practice and what they're actually discussing over there in Brussels? I think what's interesting is that actually we're fighting over technicalities. So the carbon border adjustment mechanism was originally seen as the, the most controversial and, and incredibly hard to get through lawmakers. But what we've seen actually is the debates are surrounding the timeline, not the carbon border adjustment mechanism. Same goes for the wider reforms of the EU emissions trading scheme. We're seeing lawmakers fight over percentage reductions, not increasing the ambition. So I think the positive thing to take out of the reforms as they stand today is the big and the bulk of the changes are going to make it through the current negotiations around a bit more about what form they're going to take, but actually the direction of travel is emissions reductions and movement towards net zero for the European Union. I think the main thing that EU needs to agree on is how to get from today to tomorrow and at the same time resolve the same questions in a way that energy security, that cheapness, of the energy and also the cleanliness of that energy. And this includes both power sector and industrial sector and potentially other sectors that are uh, under the like European, larger European economy and a European uh, emission scope. And what EU has been saying is that it doesn't it just want to 
maintain the status quo for these three angles, but they want to push hard on the decarbonization part. And what that means is that the price needs to be even higher to show this direction of change and to drive this direction of change. So we will have to watch and see what happens as they're looking at the 50 for 55 measures. Emma and Bo, thank you so much for joining and explaining to us in more detail today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dana. It was a pleasure. Today's episode of Switched On was edited by Rex Warner of Greystoke Media. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute nor should it be construed as investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording and any liability of this recording is expressly disclaimed. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.